0: views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of the station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from running your life? Join award-winning author, Dr. Friedman Schaub from Empowerment Radio, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools and approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. This is the time to empower yourself. Now here's your host... Dr. Friedemann Schaub.
1: Welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman. Now, in the last uh, episode of Empowerment Radio, I talked about uh, being your best self, being that gift that keeps on giving for the holidays. Now, if you have missed that show, you can always go to the archive section or the YouTube channel, Dr. Friedman Schaub, and listen and watch all the shows that have been aired on Empowerment Radio and other topics, guided meditations, Uh, there are also webinars and so on. Lots to spend time with and enjoy. Now, the topic of this show is also a challenge that often people especially during the holiday, feel the most intensely, even though it's something that can throughout the year keep you awake at night. Now, have you ever felt that you at 2 o'clock in the morning wake up, heart pounding, you barely can breathe, you have a full-blown anxiety attack, and all you're thinking of is, why? Why is it that no one loves me? Why is it that somehow I haven't found that special someone? What's wrong with me? Am I just not lovable? Well, this form of loneliness and this fear of being unlovable is a little bit like an epidemic in our society. And it's a paradox, isn't it, that we are living more and more closely together, especially in big cities that we have more and more virtual friends and are more and more connected with each other through social media, but at the same time, we are feeling more and more isolated and more and more alone. So what I would like to address today with my very special guest is how to address that lack of self-love. Now, I often hear clients tell me that they come to me with, well, I'm Anxious, I'm depressed, I feel insecure. And then at the end of our work together, they tell me that for the first time in their life, they have a sense of love and appreciation for themselves. So, on some level, love for yourself is not just a luxury, it's not just something that feels good. And some people say, well, if you love yourself, only then you can find also someone who loves you. The question I want to also ask my guest but I do believe that self-love is a necessity. It is something that really is a foundation of our existence. And it is certainly an amazing bridge from fear and anxiety into a whole new experience of life, a much more fulfilling and gratifying one. So I'm excited to talk about this topic with an expert, someone who has been also on the side of looking for love, and writes very openly in her book about her trials and her errors and the things that she has learned when she went through sleepless nights and has been struggling. I'm talking about Dr. Yanora Nieves. She is a behavioral scientist. She has been a personal development coach and a consultant on the ON OWN Network, Oprah Winfried Network. For quite some time, she works with clients across the country, providing tools to be healthier, happier, and more productive by shifting people's thoughts and behaviors that have blocked them from leading their fullest and uh, more most uh, self-empowered lives. And she also has been the author of a fabulous book, which is called Love You. 12 Ways to Be Who You Love and Love Who You Are. Well, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Friedman. Thank you for having me. That is quite an intro.
1: (laughs) Well, I was reading through your book, and what really fascinates me about this book is how it starts out with just being completely open and vulnerable and really making the reader feel like, yep, have been there know exactly right now, <laughs> but i think you're on the other side So tell me why did you write this book in the first place? What what got For
2: exactly that reason. You hit it on the head. It's because I had an immensely personal experience that as I got to work with more people and talk with more people, I realized was both immensely personal and incredibly universal, right? That we're all still struggling with these ideas of what our life is supposed to be like and how we can be both independent and somehow joined, right? always a a negotiation in many ways and particularly when it comes to developing romantic relationships where we feel happy and validated and healthy and like we have a future and a foundation and so we're always striving for that sense of connection of intimacy and it ain't easy to find (laughs) and so as a result There's this disconnect constantly between what we're working towards, what we believe we want, what we believe we deserve, what we should have had already, and where we are. And so that disconnect, or what they call discrepancy, usually can lead to such a profound feeling of loneliness, Uh, within people. And I think that's something that was really heartbreaking for me in my life, but also something that was so important for me to go through and get over. And I don't know that I knew at that time that there was a get over. And so for me, if I could share that with people and give them some practical tools and techniques and and sense of what it looks like at the get over, right, then I thought it was worth worth doing.
1: Now, what you said about the discrepancy, it sounds like what really bothers people is that they think they should be at this place. But who brings out the shoulds? Who are we trying to measure up to?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it it's a, comes from a multitude of influences, right? So we grow up and we're socialized into this idea of the family first and, you know, be selfless. And being selfless requires others, <laughs> right? So there's this neediness attached to the selflessness, right? So there's that piece of it. And we're constantly externally focused trying to figure out how to build those communities. And then we have the the, romantic, um, the romanticization that happens constantly of this like fantasy of what the picket fence and the dog and the two kids and you know what the the perfect life looks like at the end so there's a lot of that in the way we're socialized and of course our families play a role too because they want what's best for us and they have been socialized into the same idea, right? And if anybody can push those buttons and trigger up everything, it's your family. <laughs> so, there's, so there's a multitude of influences that sort of focuses us in the direction of you are not worthwhile, finished, successful, um, worth the, the success you're, you're looking for if you don't have this piece of your life together.
1: Now, in this regard, of course, you can ask yourself, well, is it about following those uh, ideas, even if the parents think it's the best for you, but at the end, you know, do they really know what's best for you? Or is it actually about maybe making up your own mind and living up your own ideas? Now, do you have a feeling your loneliness or your anxiety around not being lovable got you more on a track of? How can I speed up the process so that I'm finally doing what's expected from me? Or did you feel like, no, I'm gonna go more into the self-reflection mode and figure more out who I am and what I want rather than falling into this cookie cutter?
2: I feel like I went probably back and forth between those two models, right? So there was a piece of me, particularly in my very early 20s, that kind of rebelled, as we tend to do at that age, against whatever the traditional idea that was being pushed on me was. And I was very clear that I was going to be independent and rewrite what my narrative would look like and all this wonderful revolutionary energy, you know, that we go into our early 20s with. And then I think there was a part of me as I became more... um, acculturated and spent more time in the work world and had adult friends and became more interested in furthering my education and sort of went into these models of social life that move you further into adulthood or what adulthood is supposed to look like, right? And then I started to reincorporate some of those things that I had been socialized to believe were success. And part of that was a relationship where I felt loved and supported but also that looked a particular way. Mm. And, and that's what I, I wanted. And I don't know that I knew at that time that I was settling, right? I had good partners. We weren't good together, but they weren't bad people. And so I felt like we just need to figure out how to make this work. And I hadn't spent any time by myself. And I didn't know myself as well as I do now. And I didn't love myself as much as I do now because I didn't know myself, (laughs) right? And so that's the little twist. I think what ended up happening is when I had to be alone, and then I really started to do what you just said, which was search internally and reflect and shift and change and grow and ask questions and do all of the real hard internal work, then I started to know myself. And the more of me I learned about, the more of me I liked. And then when I started to really love being by myself, my relationships got better because I raised the standard of who you had to be to compete with me being with me. (laughs) You know what I mean? So if you wanted to take me out on a Saturday, well, I was really good on a Saturday painting and drawing and reading and writing and watching reality TV. So you're going to have to be better than that now, you know? So that really made a difference, I think, in how I selected my partners and who I attracted and who even bothered with me, Mm. you know?
1: Well, when we come back from the break, I want to ask you two questions. And one question is, do we first have to be alone and find ourselves before we go into a relationship? Or can we find ourselves while we are in relationship? Mm. Because I can imagine a lot of people would say, oh my God, now I have to end this here so that I can find myself. (laughs) <laughs> and the other question is upbringing. How much do you feel that your upbringing or in general upbringing sets you up for feeling lovable or maybe feeling that there is something wrong with you? When we come back, we will talk about that. Stay tuned. Demystifying the journey on From Here to There Radio with your host, Diane Garris. Tune in every third Wednesday, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on TransformationTalkRadio.com
2: as Diane helps you get from where you are now to the life you envision. Get ready to get unstuck and move forward. Every show features a new special segment, New Age Notes, demystifying hot metaphysical topics of the day. For more
1: information or to work with Diane, visit DianeGarris.com. welcome back on empowerment radio i'm here with my guest dr jana oh my. say it again
2: Denora Nieves.
1: Denora Nieves, thank you very much.
2: That's all right, we have four seconds. Not
1: a name that I very <laughs>
2: <like>. <laughs> Listen, if I can do Friedman Schaub.
1: Exactly. Denora Nieves. <laughs> she is the author of the book Love You. And we talk about love and especially the love for yourself. And before the break, I was asking her whether we have to, like in her case, it was, be alone. Be okay with being alone through self-reflection, through finding out more who we are before we enter into this big adventure of being in relationship? Or what if we are older? What if we are in our 40s or 50s and feeling like, I still don't really know who I am and maybe I have settled, but I don't really know what I'm going to do. Do I get a divorce? Do I look for my own apartment? Or can I do this work also on myself while being in a relationship? What would you say?
2: That's a great question. You know, I don't think that it requires you being alone, but I do think it requires a renegotiation of all of your norms. Mm. And sometimes that's easier to do when you're alone because you don't have people in the relationship with you that you have made agreements with to be a particular way or that signed up because you were a particular way, right? And so a strong relationship, a healthy relationship, I. And can absolutely tolerate, accept, nurture your self-improvement. Absolutely. I think it just has to be a relationship in which you can have those conversations with your partner, where you guys understand what the other person is experiencing, where you are able to ask that person for what you need and be explicit about and honest about what you're going through and how you need to change and why you need to change, right? And, and really... Have the space and room in the relationship to grow and renegotiate things in real time and and healthy relationships will allow you to do that because we 're always changing we 're always growing right and if we couldn't do that in a healthy relationship we'd never we'd be alone forever so i don 't think it requires you being alone I think the reason that for most people it happens because when they're alone or it's easier for them when they're alone is because we don't tend to attract really healthy relationships if we haven't done the work already. Right. And so if you haven't done the work to attract a healthy relationship, then you probably won't have the space in the room in the relationship to continue to do the work. That's what I think gets people the most stuck. But if you're able to do that with your partner, it's a beautiful process.
1: And one thing I notice about my clients is that when they do work on themselves and change with also the outcome of loving themselves, there is actually a much greater chance that the relationship goes to the next level, almost like subconsciously. Mm-hmm. The partner mm-hmm. picks that up and uh, often yep. clients tell me, well, I'm not sure about, you know, my husband, or my my wife, we're a little bit stuck in that. And mm-hmm. uh, Once people overcome, and you may have noticed this too, once people overcome that idea that you're selfish when you are changing or working on yourself, but this is actually something that gives some new life to the relationship as well, I think everything also will positively affect your partner and I have you know, heard clients telling me, well, all of my, sudden, my partner starts jogging with me before he was a cup potato yeah. or all yeah. of a sudden my wife loves also being vegetarian and we are making smoothies together. And yeah. so there are things that are surprising and you, as you're seeing yourself in a new light, you also all of a sudden see your partner in a new light. And I think that's very exciting and your book certainly can help people to get there. Now, I asked before about the, no, I'm often interested in the root causes of the lack of self love, mm-hmm. and they do have to do with our upbringing. Now, your upbringing from your book, I gather, was rather harmonious or loving, or mm-hmm. did you have a lack of positive feedback from your family of origin?
2: No, the contrary. I had so much positive feedback, I didn't know what to do without it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now
2: that's an interesting one. <laughs> right? I, I had a great upbringing. You know, I everybody has things, right? Blemishes in their families. So certainly no family is perfect. My parents loved me the best way that they could. Uh, but they, just like me, were socialized into a model of what we were supposed to be like. And, you know, particularly as Latinos, my, parent, my mother's a migrant, came over here from Puerto Rico and they were working class. And so there were all these ideas that came along with all of those experiences, right? That you have to work hard to earn what you want, that if you don't earn it, you don't deserve it, that there's this like constant um, need to achieve. We're very achievement-based, right? So there's that piece of like the migrant experience and the working class experience. They were... Uh, they came from big families, right? My mother's one of six, my father's one of five. They all had, you know, five or six kids and we were a big loving family, but a family in which if you wanted to be heard, you had to speak up, right? Or you could easily get lost. It was a family that was really communal, which um, has great pieces and not so great pieces, (laughs) one of which, right? One of which is the family before the self, that we're constantly taught, particularly when we are in those big families. So there wasn't anything that they deliberately did to make me believe that I shouldn't put myself first, but culturally it was implied you know, and then you add to that the piece of me being a woman in America, right? So we're already taught to be more domestic, more nurturing, more caretaking, more other focused. And then we're, I'm a Latina, right? So there's that, what they call Marianismo, this idea that, you know, the perfect woman is the Virgin Mary and all that comes with her, be pious, be domestic, be demure, you know? So all of these different pieces came together to socialize me in such a way where I had an idea of a valuable human being as being focused externally Mm. on other people, somehow, helping them, doing for them, creating a situation for them, making sure they're okay, whatever that looked like. And that if you focused internally too much, you were taking time to do something that was selfish.
1: Right.
2: Right? Right? And that's that's a real constraint that people have a real limitation. As you mentioned before, it's one of the big pieces of getting people unstuck is helping them acknowledge and understand and embrace the idea that they are worth their own time and energy, right? You are worth your own time and energy.
1: But it's interesting, this whole cultural difference that you grew up in, which, you know, on paper looks kind of lively and wonderful, yeah. <laughs> together in big family. Yeah. But, uh, where did you see, especially for yourself, and I know there are quite a few Latina and Latino listeners, where did you see also the, the challenge with the relationship men and women that yeah. you was something that, uh, you know, made it harder for you to pick the right partner?
2: Well also you know I talk about this in the book as well so I'm a bicultural latina born in the united states right and so I'm I'm constantly juggling models of what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man right and what pieces of that match in both cultures and where are they being challenged, right? And so like in American culture, Latinas are the fiery, feisty, sassy, you know, whatever, right? And we've been sort of exoticized and otherized in that way. And then in Latino culture, there's this expectation though, that you be the caretaker and the nurturer and maternal, right? And so we're constantly battling these different ideas of who we are. And by the way, not just us, Right, as I write about in the book, it just so happens this is what it looks like for Latinas. And I can write about what it looks like for Latinas because I'm a Latina, but it's certainly not a Latina problem, right? I have Italian friends that go through it, or, you know, Greek friends that have similar ideas, or I have a Nigerian friend that constantly battles some of that as well. So I think every culture has. Um, A prototype, right? Or an archetype, if you will, of what their women are supposed to be and who their men are supposed to be and what that relationship is supposed to look like. And as we're moving through the world and modernity, we're constantly renegotiating that so that we can figure out what feels good for us. And how do we keep some of the cultural values and not sort of be a traitor to our culture without embracing everything? Because honey, I ain't cooking. I just, I don't like it. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I don't enjoy it. I'm it's sure your mother is very
1: disappointed with you.
2: <laughs> yeah, although she cooks enough for everybody. <laughs> so if there's a quota, you guys can stop. She got it. <laughs> you know? Uh, so you have to just be able to balance that. And I think that's the work. The work mm-hmm. is really striking a healthy balance in any area of your life.
1: But the work is also to have the courage to question Question values, question culture, question family. Mm -hmm. And that was probably in your case also at times challenging. So what would you recommend for people that feel like I really have to fight my family or have to be rebellious and then they feel bad about it and then they are caving in and so they do this dance. How can we do graceful self-awareness and really also figuring out mm, these values don't work for me without feeling like we have to get ostracized by our
2: family. Yeah. I, I, love, I love that term, Friedman. I love that. Graceful self-awareness. I love that. Because that, that is a huge piece of what keeps people stuck is the fear that if they change, they will outgrow the relationships they have. It is. It's a big, big fear, right? That keeps us where we are. Um, Because there's a piece of us that acknowledges that they signed up for who we are right now. And so if we change, they may not, you know, they may not come along. And that's so scary. And I think we all face that, particularly with our families of origin. I think the key is what I call sensitive accountability, which is to really be able to have conversations with people where you're like, I get where you you're coming from this is where i'm coming from i'm not gonna do that and i love you anyway right like and not take everything as a hostile offensive domineering attempt to control who you are because that's usually not what it is everybody wants what's best for you they're just convinced they know (laughs) that's the thing (laughs) you know so if you can take it more lightly Right. And rather than seeing it as an offensive um, invasion into your process of identity, right, look at it as a helpful suggestion you could or could not take. That I think helps to really neutralize the energy around it. And well, then
1: absolutely. I just feel like what you said before is also so important that we do have to, you know, you were basically showered with love. And so you needed it. And Mm -hmm. when we do this journey of finding self-love, we have to also be willing for a while to not need that approval and that love because we're doing exactly what's expected from us. And we have to become a little bit more self-sufficient. Now, after the break, I'm going to ask you more about this. And I'm going to ask you a topic that so many, especially women, are struggling with which is aging how do we mm. wrap our minds around
2: i wouldn't know anything about that
1: and,
0: <laughs> <aging>?
1: <laughs> stay tuned we will be right back Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. I'm talking with, and I'm not even trying to pronounce her name, but it's the author of Love You, the... You say it again.
2: No, Nieves. we can do this together, Friedman. <laughs> Denora Nieves.
1: See? De, de, somehow I don't get this word out. It's Denora? Denora Nieves. Nieves. Thank Look at
2: you. that. Look at that.
1: My little German tongue. It's like, you know... Dancing the salsa with my hips. Some things are not <laughs> yes. in my DNA, but uh, I'm willing to learn. So, I
2: love it. I love it.
1: <laughs> thank you for being here. And uh, we talked about before this importance when you go onto this journey of self-love to not be at the same time dependent of <sighs> other people's approval.
0: But so really important.
1: learning to be more independent. How do you do this? What would you suggest is a good way for people to start seeking their own approval and other. Yeah.
2: I think, I think there are sort of more esoteric philosophical ways. And then I think there are your tangible concrete ways, right? So What we were talking about earlier, the spending more time with yourself and really inside of yourself, I think is one of the best ways because the more that you start to love yourself and know yourself and connect with that inner voice and value that voice, right? The less the voices of other people tend to matter. So I think that that's a really important piece of the work. But there are real tangible, concrete, easy ways to start to even do that, right? Journaling. Is one of those things, just being able to hear your voice, expressive writing. You know, sometimes I'll just sit to write and I'm like, oh crap, that's what I'm thinking? You know, but because you don't really give yourself the space and the time to think about what you're thinking about and to really even hear that or see that. So just even expressive writing and journaling, gratitude listening. Right. I spent an inordinate amount of my time when I'm not feeling good about myself, listing all of the things that are good about myself. Like if I look in the mirror and my stomach is a little more bloated than it was yesterday, my gratitude list is about all the organs in my stomach that are digesting food properly, you know, because there are real wonderful things going on. And sometimes we tend to focus on the other things. And that's what keeps us empty and needing the fulfillment from other places and the validation from other places. But if we focus on all the good things inside of us and around us, then it really keeps us more full and then we don't pull for the influence of others in quite the same way. So I think it's, it's a mixture of both, of spending more time with yourself, being more comfortable with yourself, listening to yourself, but also shifting your focus deliberately so that you see all the good things about yourself constantly.
1: Now, you know how difficult it can be when you don't like yourself to see anything positive about yourself and how challenging it is even to explain people that are more self-rejecting the concept Mm -hmm. of self-love. Now, let's say people start journaling and all they read, they don't like. They look Mm -hmm. in the mirror, they don't even like their inner organs. They Mm -hmm. look at anything that they do, Mm -hmm. everything feels bad. Mm-hmm. How do you suggest people find any kind of gratitude for themselves? Where to start? With a little toe or where would you begin?
2: Yeah, I love my little toe. You know, <laughs> you know part of it is being honest. I, you know, I tell clients all the time, it doesn't help them or me for them to lie about what it is they're experiencing. So if they really can't find anything good about themselves, then that's what they should say and that's what they should write. That gives us a place to start, right? And then we're not going to go from, I hate myself to I'm freaking fabulous in a 45-minute session. That's not going to happen. But can we bring this to a more neutral place? So what's the more neutral place? And then we work from the more neutral place to get us to the more loving place. So I think that's what I would recommend to people is let's not start with trying to transform the self-hate to self-love. Let's start with trying to take the self-judgment out of the self-hatred right because that'll neutralize it a little bit. So if you look in the mirror and the first thing you see is oh my god my thighs are so fat, you're not going to jump from there to oh my god I love my fat thighs, right? That's not going to happen. But what you might be able to jump to is wow. There are people who really struggle with mobility. There are people in the world who really struggle with mobility who can't walk around. And if I didn't have these thighs, I would be one of them. And actually, my thighs are doing a good job keeping me mobile. So right now, I'm not going to worry about what they look like. That's a job for another day. Today, I'm going to be grateful that they keep me mobile, right? And what that means. And that'll take you to a more neutral place quickly. Mm. And then in a later week, we can worry about how to teach you to look in the mirror and like them. But first, you got to stop hating them. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, that's a wonderful advice. And uh, and I find also sometimes it can be very helpful for just us to realize that we have a complete distortion in a uh, distortion uh, lens in front of our okay. eyes. And so whatever we see in okay. ourselves is probably to 80% wrong, especially okay. if we are very self-judgmental and okay. uh, self-hating. And just realizing that often this lens has been not our idea in the first place. It and was. it
2: serves a purpose.
1: Right, right. It's right? It serves a purpose serves to a protect us. And, well,
2: uh, and also, like, you know, I'm a sociologist, so here's my bias, right? But we've been socialized to feel inadequate because it keeps us consumers. And that's real, right? Our economy lives off of our insecurities. Everything that we go out there and buy or a large percentage of what we consume Mm. is to soothe some feeling of inadequacy. And so there is an enormous machine working to keep us feeling inadequate, right? So it's not a personal deficit, if you will. It's really just the way we've been socialized to think about ourselves. And we just have to remember that and then start to reprogram, right, and recondition out of that and into something that feels better.
1: But I have to say the unfairness of it all is that in, I completely agree with what you're saying, but I think women are made feel more inadequate than men. And <laughs> that is just something that, uh, you know,
2: <laughs>
1: I, yeah. I find uh, maybe also a little bit about not just the consumerism, but also the control. The control yeah. of women oh. trying yeah. to just make sure that they are more focused on their thighs then maybe right. you know, making a huge change in the world, which is, thank God, happening as we speak, looking at the midterm elections. Yes. But back to the other societal pressure, which is fairly new, which is aging. Something, a 100 years, people thought about, okay, aging means like, you know, being the crown, being the wise one, being the one who has a lot yep. to offer. Everyone listens to it's an that accolade. person. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Now aging is an insult. Now aging is a demon that we have to avoid. Now aging is a multi-billion dollar business where some little surgeons just love to make people look younger and unfortunately run away from themselves. What do you feel is your advice about aging, self-love, and how to, maybe it's time to rebel against this?
2: Absolutely. You know, it's time to rebel against ideals right? Because I think what happens is we get caught up in fantasy and we do this with romantic relationship as well, which is part of what I talk about in the book. In our romantic relationships, how much of our time do we spend really getting to know our partner and build a partnership and how much of it is about us scripting a fantasy and then casting the roles, right? And, and we do a lot of that. And even our role, right? The role of me is being played by somebody else, you know, that I'm casting into that, right? Because we have these ideas and these ideals of what successful looks like, what happy looks like, what pretty looks like, what, you know, all of these, these things we want to be, what they specifically will, um, what criteria specifically satisfies that that adjective. And we get so wrapped up in that, that we're not willing to redefine it Right. On the basis of how we feel inside, right? It's pretty how you look or it's pretty how you feel. It's successful how you look to other people or is successful how you feel. How much of it is about image and how much of it is about internal experience? That's a real question that we have to start asking ourselves. You know, I'm 38 and I got all this like stuff going on. I got these new little wrinkles here. I'm starting to name them. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, one of my friends the other day said to me, you going to go dye your hair because I got some grays coming out. I'm like, hell no. I know every single one of them. This one was the divorce. <laughs> this one was the doctorate. But, you know, I got some coming out right now that, you know, I'm excited to talk about later. Right. Like there is a piece of us that is getting better with age. There's a piece of us that is really getting wiser, getting more brilliant. And to erase the evidence of that is to diminish the quality of it, right? And, and the importance of it. And I think that's unfortunate. And, you know, people have the right to do whatever they want to feel good, but be careful that you're not feeling good on the basis of what you think you are making other people believe about you as opposed to what you really believe about yourself.
1: Well, which is exactly what we talked about, this independence of other people's Mm -hmm. approval and just Mm -hmm. really being more self-reliant. And I know it's difficult. And uh, it's something that I think uh, a lot of people uh, are struggling with, this idea that once you're hitting 50, you become invisible is uh, maybe in some ways a reality if you're seeing as such, but it makes you also act invisible. It makes you quiet and not speak up. And that is something that also is you buying into it. And yes, I know men, it's always easier to talk about this because men are in general thought of, not as struggling so much with aging, which isn't true at all. I have people that write me, And that's a shocking part of it in their 20s, male and female that are already now afraid of aging. So this is something Mm -hmm. we really have to address because what you said about the image, it is about the dependency on the image. And it has a lot to do with that, what social media is putting into the world as this is how it's supposed to look like sunset, drinking some Chardonnay and having a wonderful laugh. That is what my life every day looks like. Right. When you talk about, (laughs) I have actually quite a few clients that have wonderful Instagram uh, addresses and, you know, wonderful pictures. And then somehow we talk about exactly that day and it's a complete different experience. Right. It's just that picture that is portraying the fantasy.
2: So Right. And the idea that, Because this is the thing, too the idea that what you see about people is all they are. Right. Right. Because I, you know, I have a great Facebook timeline because I don't post what time I woke up. (laughs) You know, I don't post that. You didn't see that I was writing until four in the morning because I wouldn't post that. And it never dawns on me that people would think that everything I post is a representation of my life. I post videos of puppies. I don't even have a puppy, (laughs) you know what I mean, right? It's because you post sometimes on social media, the things that bring you joy, give you a smile. You, You know, that's what I sometimes will turn to my phone for. So we also have to get out of this idea that if we see something that looks perfect, we really believe it is. We, we more often than not are only seeing 10 to 20% of a person. At any given moment, in a conversation, at a stoplight, in a supermarket, on a social media post, we, we are not seeing the full story of, pe- of who people are. And if we remember that, we won't be as easily manipulated the way that, that the economy needs us to be to continue you know, feeding it. And we also won't get so frustrated judging ourselves against some idea of perfect that isn't true.
1: And we don't compare as much because right. know it's a false comparison. But don't you feel yeah. like there is an importance also? And that's a question that I wanted to ask you about speaking up and stop being on mute. But isn't it important to be more real? We are so afraid of being real and vulnerable and showing maybe that nitty gritty and a little bit darker and maybe a little bit more sad or quote unquote weak side of us that we are hiding it. And By hiding it, we are telling the world and ourselves, oh, this is not good. We shouldn't feel this way. We shouldn't have it. And then we are going into this cycle of only showing these 5% that feel good and all the others. We are somehow shoving under the rug. What do you feel about this right. and speaking up?
2: I think it depends. I think people have a right to their privacy. So I'm very careful about how I I communicate this because I'm an open book, clearly just open my book, <laughs> you know, and I put myself out there and talk about my vulnerabilities and my struggles and my issues. But I respect that not everyone wants to do that. I think that's, that's important that people get to preserve their privacy. Um, but I do think that, you are a demonstration to the world in everything that you say, everything that you do, everything that you are. And so I don't think people have to put themselves out there in quite the same way that I have. But I do think that people need to be more mindful of how honest and authentic they're being in the way they communicate. And communication could be a conversation Mm -hmm. as much as as it is what you wear, how you do your hair, you know, what you put out, what kind of energy you put out into the world.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I think privacy is a tricky one because on some level we do have uh, a responsibility, especially as we're becoming more aware, to also, like you said, to to put ourselves out there maybe in a more inspirational and also authentic way. And that may mean right now also to show, yes, I'm anxious. Yes, I struggle. Yes, I do have, you know, four o'clock in the morning, sometimes these, uh, you know, panic attacks where I'm thinking the world's going to fall apart. And because I think this brings a conversation, the conversation of how can we change that into the open? I think we have been in hiding, I I respect privacy, but we have been in hiding behind this beautiful glitter of how we want to be seen as young and vital and successful too long. And I think there's too much unrealness that our life has become. And and I believe it's time to be more open and real in that regard. And that can be in a small circle. You know, some people are real to their family, not even real to their partners. Pretend to them that they have it together or they are different than they are. But in your culture, you said something about you had to be more quiet in general. There was more like women are not supposed to have you know uh a non-mute button <laughs> so yeah yeah how do you i think in general
2: mute? i i think in all yes in all cultures right women are expected to really be quieter right, right? that's, a, that's right. sort of an expectation Definitely. right be seen and not heard and it's said about children and applied to women um and so i think there's there's always that piece of it i think in latino culture there's um As you know, I was having this conversation with an Asian woman that I was talking to yesterday who's a friend, and and we I had just had this conversation with an African American woman over the weekend who's also a friend. There's also this piece of oppressed communities, right? Of uh, communities that have historically been oppressed, that we are expected to put our best foot forward, right? That we have to prove that we have it together because we've been attacked historically and and accused of being less than. And so our image has to be that of somebody who is more than, right? And so there's this danger that comes out of that because then you are raised to feel like you cannot, quote, put your business in the street, right? Or you cannot... Um, really be too authentic because you open yourself up to criticism and judgment and you will validate the concerns of other people and what they say about you as a stereotype or as a person who's not as you know great or as much or as whatever, right? And so there's a, a protectiveness that can breed secrecy or it can breed silence or it can breed... Um, um, Almost like an an incubation, if you will, right? And so a piece of evolving is also having the confidence and courage to say, I am strong and I struggle, right? Again, that balance and being able to sit in that and have the courage to do that. And I'm aware that I benefit from the millions of women of color who have come before me to set a stage where I can come up here and be like, yeah, I got some issues. And nobody takes that as a generalization about my competence as a woman of color, right? Um, but, but it's taken a long time to build that platform. And I think there's still remnants of that protectiveness that people feel they need to have. And I, I understand where it came from, but it doesn't always serve us.
1: Mm. And is there a specific way where people can start unmuting themselves? Would you yeah. suggest to do this with friends first? Or how would you say the, the mute button can be lifted?
2: Again, I think that expressive writing and that journaling is really important because I do realize that so many people don't even know what they're thinking. That right. a big piece of taking yourself off mute is being able to listen to yourself. Because you haven't heard your own voice in how many years over the voices of all of the people telling you who you should be, who you aren't, what you need to do, what you don't need to do, what you like, what you don't like, you know, all these other things. So a piece of that is really just learning to start to hear your own voice, Meditation is incredible for that, right? To really be able to sit in silence and see what comes up and not judge it, just observe it. And if you can shift it, shift it. And if you can't shift it, sit in it. But really taking the time to spend inside of your mind and inside of your heart, I think it's important. For me, the second step, once you've been able to do that, is to really have those honest conversations with your partner. And everybody has a partner, even if you're single, you have someone that is your intimate partner, right? It could be your sister, it could be your best friend, it could be your child, but there's someone in your life that you share the most energy and time with. And I would say start being honest with that person. There's so much stuff we don't tell each other. Mm-hmm. You know, so much stuff. when I got into my mid thirties and started to have honest conversations with my mother, I couldn't believe the amount of things we didn't tell ourselves, each other. And it wasn't because we were deliberately lying. It was because certain conversations had never come up. Right. Like, Mama, maybe I don't need to eat rice every night. <laughs> like, maybe <laughs> that's not helping any of us. <laughs> right. You know, those kinds of things. We don't have the most basic honest conversations one in, with one another because we haven't created the space and the freedom and the, and the room and the openness for it. So I think first really being able to hear yourself in some processes that facilitate that, journaling, meditation, that sort of thing. And then really having honest, open conversations with other people mm-hmm. that can start with just, hey, I think I need to talk about some stuff in my mind. And, you know, can you just listen? That's a, an appropriate way to start the conversation.
1: Absolutely. Now, we are almost out of time, but I have two pressing questions that I want you to
2: quickly... Okay, no pressure. Go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they are very little questions. One is, do we have to love ourselves before we find love?
2: I don't think we have to love ourselves before we find love, but I think you're going to find a better love if you do because I think people learn how to love us by watching us love us. And I will often see women who are 30 years into a relationship and their husband doesn't pay them any attention. And the kid comes in on the device and barely looks at her. And, you know, she goes to work and she's not getting the respect or the validation or the promotion or whatever. And the question that she'll ask me is, you know, why am I invisible to all of these people? And I'm like, well, when's the last time you saw yourself? Right. Because they're all taking a cue about how to love you and how to treat you from how they see you love you and treat you. So what have you taught them about what you expect, what you require, what you're requesting, what you'll reciprocate, what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, what you'll allow, what you'll tolerate, what you'll contribute? What have you taught them about those things? And how is that showing up for you?
1: The invisible pleaser, for sure. But then, of course, there is also when you don't love yourself. Uh, while you are in a relationship, then there comes this dependent, dependency often where you do bend uh, into the shape of whoever you're with just yeah. to get some approval. So these are the extreme downfalls of this. So right. as right. we talked about at the beginning, it's never too late to start loving no. Now, the second question is for those that are alone during the holidays and that actually have a really hard time being alone. They hate their presence. What would you suggest for them to do in order to make this not a depressing and sad event, but really something that is more like a reason to, yeah, celebrate
2: yourself? Yeah. So I would say balance it. I don't suggest that people stay alone the entire season because I do think that it triggers up some stuff that you have to work through in a more um, long-term and up and down kind of balanced way. right? So I would say just balance the time you spend by yourself. You can decorate your apartment and you can make yourself some hot cocoa and you can wake up on a morning and watch you know, Hallmark television and... Uh, drink your hot cocoa and spend some time with yourself and journal and write and you know maybe write letters to people in your life who have been good to you that you want to mail out. You can do that kind of stuff and spend some time alone. But then I would also say find some supportive circles to be around, right? Because it's a time where we do want to feel connected. And to ignore that would be irresponsible of me, right? So I think Find some supportive circles. It can be anything. I I dance with strangers in Macy's for no reason, just because the music is good. And, you know, my fiance will be like, oh, here she goes. Right. You know, so find, find ways to connect with other people. Supportive circles can be friends or family that you can reach out to, but it can also just be volunteering at a place where you connect with other people who are interested in doing good. It can be going to a Starbucks or to a Barnes and Noble and really just sit, in the cafe area, and you know, asking people for a napkin or for some tips on something, or can they recommend a book? You'd be surprised how uh, how many other people want to talk to you. So, right. find ways to balance spending time alone with connecting with others.
1: But ultimately, no, also, and I find this because I had spent quite some time alone that it's really important to use this alone time to be kind to yourself. Not mm-hmm. just to sit there and brace yourself, hoping mm-hmm. it's going to be over. But really noticing, ultimately, when you really reach that point where we talked about a self-acceptance and self-love, you never feel alone. Somehow you no. always, I have the best conversation with myself because I never disagree. It's perfect. But that, that's something that <gasps> you, you just want to <laughs> yes. do this holiday season also as an opportunity to really befriend yeah. yourself. You don't have to love yourself right away but you may start liking yourself more. And a lot. A huge gift.
2: Yeah. You know, in my book, I talk about the eight dimensions of wellness and you can just find one activity to be kind to yourself in each of them, right? Emotional, just sit and journal. Financial, buy yourself a nice gift. You know, social, go out and volunteer. Spiritual, sit in meditation, right? So there's, there are ways to just spend the week really being good to yourself in each one of those dimensions. So take the time to, as you said, be kind to yourself. It's a great season to do that.
1: Well, time is always flying when we have fun. So yes. again, it's almost over now. Dr. D, going to get yes. a sort of cut here. <laughs> How can people learn more about you?
2: Okay, so go to my website. That's www.dinoranieves.com. That's D I N. O-R-A-H-N-I-E-V-E-S. www.denoranieves.com
1: And there is also a link on the description of the show. So you can always reach that. Thank you so much for being Perfect. on the show. It was fantastic. Thank you so
2: much for having me. I loved it. I had a good time. Lovely,
1: uh, well, great information. Lovely presence, And I wish you happy holiday. And
2: Thank you. Happy holidays to you and yours
1: and much success for the future. This was it for Empowerment Radio. We will be back in the new year. Thank you so much for tuning in in 2018 again. And I wish you and your loved ones happy holidays and a blessed 2019. Goodbye.
0: You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedemann Schaub. Join Dr. Friedemann the first and third Wednesday each month at 11 a.m. Pacific as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. Discover how you can use the power of your mind to overcome stress, anxiety, and overwhelm and create a solid foundation of confidence and self-esteem. Learn cutting-edge tools so that you can approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. To learn more about what Dr. Schaub can do for you, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com.